Hey, just want to let you know that we are making the video of this episode recording available to the wider public. It's usually reserved for supporters. So there will be a link to that video from the post for this episode at philosophyimprov.com. This episode is sponsored by HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. This is Philosophy versus Improv, where two sages try to teach each other a thing or two, and maybe you, the audience, get something out of it as well. My name is Mark Linsenmeyer, the uh, king of philosophy, trying to dethrone the king of improv. And this is Bill Arnett, an improv general, yet only a philosophy private. And our special guest, introduce yourself. Hey, everybody. Uh, my name is Chris George. I am an improv brevet major. Standing ready on the army. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> yes. Just getting them battlefield commissions. Yeah. <laughs> well, you've stepped on to quite the battlefield today. Tell us a little, Chris, before we start about your improv work, your specialty, the things that we might play off of in today's episode. I've been improvising since 2003, and actually this September 11th will be my 20-year improv anniversary. Which is why people usually recognize yeah, September call. 11th. Yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. So September 11th, 2003 was my first time ever doing improv. I started the way a lot, I think a lot of people did, which was improv in college in a, a short form group at the University of Southern Mississippi called the Stage Monkeys. I played with them for three years. I moved to Chicago in 2007 for grad school, and I studied at I.O., which is actually how I met Bill, who was my level four teacher at I.O. I moved out to San Diego in 2008 for work, and while I was out there, I co-founded an improv theater, and I taught at a couple of improv theaters and, and played and performed and did a fairly large amount. But I think for the purposes of what we're talking about today, while I was out there, I developed a show called I Am The Show, which is a one-person improvised movie noises show. I almost said podcast. This is the podcast. That's the show. I moved back to Chicago in, in 2016, and I've been here ever since doing improv, studying at all the various schools, but continuing to do the I Am The Show, which is uh, what I primarily travel on for doing festivals uh, and the like when I go out touring nationally and internationally. Canada counts as international. <laughs> now you called it a movie sound effect movie noises so so movie you do the noises the, the wilhelm yeah. the wilhelm scream well more than the wilhelm scream so the audience will select a movie that i've never seen before i got a couple of different ways of getting them there one way is that i'll buy dvds from like the dollar bin which is a treasure trove of movies that nobody has ever heard of or we'll go on Netflix, which is additionally a treasure trove of movies that nobody has ever heard of before. We'll find one that I've never seen before. It'll play on the screen or on the TV for the show with the sound off. And then I improvise all the dialogue, music, and sound effects in real time while the movie is playing for you know, approximately 22 minutes or so or whatever the length of the show is. So it would be similar to a popular, though by no means singular television show from the 90s with a mysterious title. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The MST3K is definitely a show that like I grew up watching and I love and I still love to this very day. It's certainly a, a partial inspiration, but I think that the biggest deviation is that there is no no original sound from the movie is being played as part of the movie. So it's not you're also seeing the original dialogue that I'm commenting on it. It is, there is no dialogue. You're only seeing the video part 
And then I'm improvising everything, all of the dialogue that they're saying, all the back and forth, any sound effects, any music that I think belongs anywhere in there. There might be commentary sprinkled throughout, but my attempt is to try to figure out what the movie is slightly ahead of what the movie is presenting me and to try and like make characters and have the characters interacting with each other. But, you know, it's improv and I never get it right. So I think that's where part of the comedy comes from is the error rate between what the movie is actually doing and what my attempt is for the movie. Okay. Uh, do you track error rate? No, I do not. No, no, <laughs> no mathematics. It's a, more a conceptual idea of the, the distance between me and what the movie is doing. And so it's you interacting with the movie and, of course, the audience, but not you interacting with another person that even in the, the early days of MST3K, when it was actually improvised before it was on the comedy channels, there was still the element of improv that Bill sort of stresses most, which is the reacting to another human being. How is that different? Well, I mean, clearly the movie is not going to respond to you, but it seems like it has something in common. I would say that I am 100% in response to the movie. There, there is no dialogue back and forth where I'm, I obviously I have no influence over the movie. Once the play button is pressed, the movie is going to do whatever the movie is going to do. In the early days of doing the show, I would do it off of Hulu. And at the time, I was cheap and I did not pay for Hulu without advertisement. So I would improvise <laughs> the commercials wherever the commercial breaks popped up. So I'm 100% in response to the movie. My goal is to try to get ahead of whatever the movie is doing to try and get ahead of it. But obviously, the movie does not care what I'm doing. So I am 100% responding to what I can see and, and, and how fast I can talk basically so the thing in the world of philosophy the general area i won't give you the exact topic yet because that's I, right. you know, we haven't actually said what we do on the show that i generally come in with a philosophy idea bill comes in with an improv idea in this case we adapt to our guests so mm -hmm. the thing that you have laid out chris is more or less well bill probably make something of it as we go uh, maybe there'll be an I've additional got something lesson that's okay all right <laughs> uh and then at the end chris as our guest will have to decide which of the lessons has been most profound and earth-shaking and will win today's Battle Royale. Oh, yipes. But the general area of philosophy that I, I was thinking of, just in philosophy of art or literature, or even just going back to Plato or Socrates complaining about the written word. There's a reason Socrates didn't write things down, because it's not a dialogue anymore. Once it's on paper, it's dead. And so this has been the sort of basis for a bunch of variations off this over time. Or he was just really self-conscious about his penmanship. <laughs> <laughs> I'm making an excuse. Yeah. Like, like this idea of Foucault and others who were talking about the death of the author, which is to say that people who are literary critics, they're trying to figure out what a work means. Should you, as was the trend sometimes, go look in the author's diary, go ask the author, what did you mean by this? What did, you know, does it, does the author's intent? Or once it's out there, it's an objective thing open to whatever interpretations people are going to put on it so that clearly you're not trying to, well, probably doing something funnier than merely trying to decipher what the filmmakers intended by this. <laughs> Although probably everything you watch is going to be cliche enough that you're going to have some idea of where it's going and therefore how to construct jokes. If it was truly a series of random images, wow, that would be hard to uh, you know, a surrealist masterpiece or something it would be very hard to, to riff. I did do, yeah, it does remind me, I did do a show at a, a festival. It was the first time I was in Omaha, so with the Omaha Improv Festival in 2015. And it, the movie that, that got picked was 
it was a Bergman movie, and it was at least for the twenty some odd minutes that I did it, it was a disjointed series of images, and I still I'm I'm not entirely sure what it was, and it was exceptionally difficult to improvise over because there's no visual momentum with which to build and because like I can't figure out where it's going was my goal of trying to get ahead of it. Like I can't get ahead of it because I never could figure out the pattern that it was going for. Yeah. The first thing that came to mind is if you were able to write something that was completely unambiguous and completely understood identically by all people in all contexts and time frames through history, I'm a little blurry. If you could do that, well, now is it just propaganda? I mean, does it, does it have any value if it's completely known? Does that make sense? Is that weird? I mean, it's got to be a matter of degree, right? That no statement can determine its own meaning. Like it always requires some cultural background such that this is, this is sort of an argument for <laughs> why true AI is not possible or maybe it just is guidance on how AI has to learn. That it can't just say, you can't start with a sentence and say, here's the meaning because every the meaning of every word right refers to other words. They have to know those other words. It refers to some sure. sort of context. So yes, if we're trying to translate something by ancient peoples who we know nothing about, it might be very, very difficult. If we knew at least that they eat, if we make some assumptions about the, the kind of functions. beings they are, then mm-hmm. maybe we could at least have a starting point of like what they would be writing about to make sense of any of it. Well, is the problem that maybe we put too much emphasis on the need to understand and we can talk about, there was a big one with Lord of the Rings and like the eagles at the end saving the day. And people are like, well, that's clearly a World War One or two metaphor for the American entry into the war. And it's like, clearly. And, and apparently Tolkien was like, no, stop saying that. That's not what it means. You know, but why do we need it to mean something? Why can't we just contemplate it and move on with our day? Why are we getting mad or angry or insistent upon something having a particular Meaning, why does I am the walrus have to mean something? (laughs) Why can't it just be a flow of syllables that sounds nice together? And we can talk about it over some drinks and whatnot. Well, yeah, we've said what Chris needs out of it. And I'm, you know, very happy to uh, operationalize, to to go pragmatist (laughs) about any given thing philosophically that we're thinking about that. It's only if you're a literary critic and it's your business to supposedly evaluate, which I guess means try to figure out the meaning of, but even that might be open to what you, you seem to be suggesting that art is just for appreciating its forms, I guess. So that the meaning, I would just think it matters what kind of literary form you're talking about and what level of meaning you're talking about. I think this specific, well, what does this metaphor mean? Or even did the author intend that metaphor, which is a very common thing. It's kind of more fun to have work that's so rich that there are all these interpretations that you could drive in there. But when Chris is looking at, well, you tell me when you're looking at a movie, <laughs> how deep are you? It sounds like you're just trying to get some frame of reference to make what's happening on the screen make sense. Not enough sense, but like enough sense that you can then tweak it and make it funny. When I'm looking at the screen, my primary thing is I'm looking for the things that are definitely going to make sound because that's my primary responsibility in the show. So I'm looking for lips moving. I'm looking for car doors closing, people drinking out of mugs, people dialing phones, because these are things that like we expect audiovisually for there to be a sound associated with it. And especially for like the lips moving, trying to come up with different voices that can be assigned with not necessarily matching, putting that in quotation marks, each person. I mean, I might sometimes do that, you know, if it's a kind of a big luggage guy that might be. 
Hey, everybody, because we just sort of assume that like big luggage guys are going to have big luggage voices, but more specifically trying to assign different voices so that they know which voice belongs to which person and therefore which point of view belongs to which person. But I'm also at the same time, I'm scanning for things that are going on in the image that may be funny or silly, which I think that is the really MST3K part. There was one I did last August, or actually, I guess it was September in Tampa for the Countdown Improv Festival. It was a movie with John Voight where he adopts a young girl who's run away from an abusive home and she speaks to a horse. I think it was literally called The Horse Whisperer, if I'm remembering correctly. It's a terrible movie. But early on in the movie, wolves attack the barn. They invade the barn and they're attacking the horses. But there is a shot where it is just three wolves standing around with two other horses, and they're all just standing there. Clearly, one where the wranglers for these animals had brought them in, staged them, they get one second shot <laughs> of a, an establishing shot to indicate, yes, there are wolves and horses in the same space at the same time, but they are the wolves very clearly looking around, waiting for instruction of what to do, <laughs> which is an image that's ripe because everybody sees it instantaneously, even if they don't have the opportunity to process it. So I'm trying to process that image and putting words to it. Like, so we just stand around here, which they recognize as like, oh, that's funny. And it's a funny movie element because we all understand. It was like, you know, obviously there had to be horse wranglers and wolf wranglers and they can't be attacking each other actually for a shot. But to have an establishing shot requires them to mostly just be standing around waiting for instructions. <laughs> I don't know if I answered your question exactly. But to kind of respond to Bill, I mean, there are so many things in what Chris just said that involve meanings that he and the audience clearly share that if you didn't understand, you're seeing the visual of a car door slamming and know what sound that normally makes, then it wouldn't make any sense from there. So in that sense, like, yes, there are at least some meanings. You might say the literal meanings. Uh, obviously, once we get into language, things get more difficult in the way that I pointed out. But even that, that is a car. If we've showed this to someone who is not familiar with cars. What's that noise? <laughs> What's going on? Wait, what? <laughs> someone kick something? Uh, is there a scene that we should initiate launching off what we've got so far in some way? Yes, we certainly can. Now, I also have a lesson brought in. And I know that for our audio only listeners i don't know if any non-audio only listeners for our audio only participants this may be a little funky but i think we'll, we'll make it work i'm not worried for our video participants this might make slightly more sense i kind of don't want to let the cat out of the bag too much here but let me just say this i'm going to be starting this scene but it will not have an audio component that said I don't think it's going to lose much meaning to our audio-only listeners, to our listeners. Experiencers. Experiencers, (laughs) yes. I think that we can make this happen with little effort. Is that cool, everybody? So if there is an audio pause, listeners, do not be too upset. Things are happening and will be addressed. Are we good, everybody? Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Ready to be silent. Yeah. Hey, what's up, buddy? What's going on? You having a hard day there? Uh, huh? 
You, you, you look a little, a uh, little downtrodden, a little, uh, quit upon. Yeah. It's just, just, it's the job. It's, it's everything. Okay. It's, that's just everything. All right. Well, I got somebody here I think might turn that frown upside down. Oh, please. No, it's no, my friend, please. Jackie, the monkey. Hey, Jackie, the monkey. <laughs> Isn't he funny? Is he making you a little? Okay. Why you brought a monkey in it? It's just a dude. It's just a, he's not a, a real monkey. It's just, I, a, know, I, I can tell I can, I have never in my life been fooled by a person in a monkey costume. I don't think anyone has. All right. Jackie, Jackie please do not break my character. Okay. <laughs> I just, I guess for maximum enjoyment effect though, I mean the, the oohs and ahs are, are really good, but clearly this, this guy, uh, Bill is a tough nut to crack. So maybe uh, yeah. you got to raise your monkey game a little bit. What's the next level? A banana. A banana. Oh. Gross. Just chew your banana. You don't have to spit it out to prove that you ate it. It's disgusting. Okay, Mark, you brought a monkey man into the into the office? I just... Just to cheer me you up? You never know when it's going to be handy. I just felt like we're in crunch time. We got to try some innovative solutions for productivity and having a monkey man on hand. I actually thought that this was going to be a talking monkey man. So I, I was a little misled by the advertisement. I, I, this is a little too literal. I guess I took it. Okay. Here's the thing. You didn't hear it from me. Okay. This is what's going down. I was in a meeting. <laughs> oh man. That is funny. He's funny. Look so, at you him. Stop looking at the damn. He, so, he's doing, okay. I get his little monkey dances. <laughs> All right. Are the dances are, yeah. I have never seen a monkey in real life scratch under its armpits. But that is like what people in imitating monkeys do. They're just doing lots of scratching and itching. Would you prefer he throw his feces? That's not part of the service, I believe. If you have a hatch on that suit that allows you to do that, I would be very upset. Let me just say that right now. I am wearing a diaper. All right, I'm going to break character slightly. I'm wearing a diaper under here, as all monkeys would. That's funny. That's a good... I, I like the meta thing. I like when the, the artwork that you've created, you know, explains itself. That It, it really gets me. Don't you, don't you find, Bill, when the fourth wall gets broken, that's just like... Oh, he's wearing a hat. Now he's got a hat on. It's so adorable. And it's kind of cocked sideways, like a, like a precocious youth. Wow. Okay. You know, I, I, you don't have an organ to grind and a little tin cup for me to throw change in? Is that? That's just making him into some sort of economic vessel. I don't know that I would want to. I interpret him more as a, the spirit of fun sort of out in the world. Not, he's not, he's not jumping for change. I mean, he is getting paid quite a bit to be okay, here. Mark, I, I, I hope you're okay you with uh, me giving 20% of the budget for this. Okay. I was just in a meeting with Lisa. Okay. And guess what? Guess what my job is? My job is to, as I'm getting ready for our SEC filing. I'm sorry. Just he just is, he's really breaking me. Like the thing that he's doing with that. This is really see. Okay. Oh, a giant foam cowboy hat. Where where that come from? And now he's lassoing. Uh, okay. It's like he's lassoing the moon. That's how I interpret it. And he doesn't know what to do with the mood. When a monkey has the moon, it's like he doesn't he doesn't know what to do with that mood. <laughs> okay, at, least, at least ask me to hide ten million dollars in expenses. Okay, we are ten million dollars down, and I have been asked to 
as they say, cook the books. Try to hide that, okay? That's what I'm going through right now, Mark, all right? I am going through possible criminal exposure, all right? And now we've got a monkey who's drawing. Drawing. He's drawing you in the slammer? <laughs> what is that? Yeah, all right, that's not funny. I'm not, I don't want, well, you're culpable too, Mark. And this monkey is, I, the monkey knows. Monkey heard all this and monkey might go to jail too. I don't have any knowledge of this. I think if monkey is a, a narc, that's on you, buddy. Would anyone like to know my monkey's tragic backstory? <laughs> I would oh love to gosh. know your monkey's oh tragic backstory. How did the monkey get here? Much less in a foam cowboy hat, lassoing the moon. I was captured from the jungle and brought here and sold to a zoo. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of predictable. Yeah, you know. Okay, but both of my parents were killed when I was captured. Okay. And you carry that within you so that makes all of your humor bittersweet. Yeah, I understand. All right. Well, I thought that would have gone over better. Well, I have another room I have to get to. All right. Was there at least like a man in the yellow hat involved or something? You know, that that he was killed. He was killed tragically. (laughs) See, that's funny. I like that. You know, I I don't really sympathize when uh, monkey parents are killed. But when uh, yeah, man with the yellow hat, that is nostalgic for me as a Curious George fan from youth. That gets me. I like that. I will need one of you to change my monkey diaper. Uh, Bill, I think. uh, Hard pass. My fingers on my nose. (laughs) My fingers on my nose. I think that, that will not be me. That marks the end of the scene. Hey, I think it does. I think it does. Wow, that was a challenge. I think we might have to make this particular video public. I I don't think that we can get the full joy. I continued with my imagery, my nonverbal communication, until, Mark, you labeled it. Does that make sense? Yeah. You said what you saw, which is, hey, if you take a class from me, that's going to be the most common note for the first weeks of, of improv class, you can always say what you see and label what you see. Even if it's not exactly what I intended, it's going to be close enough. And the moment you say it and label it is the moment that we can, here's the cat has just left the bag. It's this whole notion of the meaning is going to be what you and I agree. The meaning is not necessarily that there ever was meaning or that your meaning is better than my meaning. We've talked about that before, right? That the scene is what we both arrive on. Sure. Chris, <laughs> did you feel that you were, uh, I put you rather in a bind <laughs> by <laughs> creating your character for you. Was that, was that rude? I wasn't sure in this particular situation of Bill putting on a face and my identifying the face, I wanted to get you involved right away. So I didn't. <laughs> sure. No, I mean, that was fine. I mean, that's in classic improv terms would be what they would used to be referred to as pimping, but probably I think now they refer to as just gifting or maybe labeling or framing. But I mean, it's an easy entrance to the scene because I know exactly what you want from me and the expectation for what you want me to do in the scene. And did it work? Were you happy as a performer? (laughs) (laughs) Were you happy? (laughs) Uh, I'm a big proponent when I'm in improv scenes of knowing what my job is or, or knowing what everybody's job is to do in a scene and to be labeled like, Something bad is going on at this company. This guy has hired somebody to come in as a monkey. Initially, I just thought I was a monkey. So I was like, all right, my job is just to be the monkey. And then I think Bill sort of clarified that I was man in monkey costume, which only really changes it ever so slightly in that now I have the capacity to speak in some way. But other than that, I know my job is for some reason I have been brought in as an emotional comfort monkey man (laughs) for this company that is currently mid sprint or mid something i have a very clear job in which to do in that scene 
and I know I can allow you two to have a conversation and I can do stuff silently and then I can pop in anytime when it feels like that energy needs a little juicing. Let's stop for some sponsor talk. Last week, I visited by myself my aged father in South Carolina and was charged with making sure that he ate things. Now, he is a picky eater, very health conscious. So what did I do? HelloFresh, which provides farm-to-table quality with seasonal ingredients. They're picked at peak ripeness, and they get to your table within seven days for fresh flavor in every bite. The pre-portioned ingredients make it easy to get cooking quick, and I was able to make the cranberry thyme chicken with roasted broccoli, carrots, and onions quickly and with very little effort. And because I'm making this myself, not just ordering out, I could put in less salt. I could add extra broccoli that I had on hand. HelloFresh is 25% less expensive than takeout and also less expensive than grocery shopping and, of course, more convenient. Every week, HelloFresh has 40 recipes. There are always going to be multiple veggie and pescatarian options. There's always going to be something new to you. Like, for instance, they've just introduced new snack items. You could add like a s'mores bundle to your order. They've also added some entertaining options like a bratwurst bar with various fancy toppings. Or they have a snack board with pretzel bites, spiced bar nuts, and hot honey peach jam. Go to HelloFresh.com slash Improv50 and use code Improv50 for 50% off plus free shipping. That's HelloFresh.com slash Improv50. Use the code Improv50 for 50% off plus free shipping. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. I mean, we are opening up a whole new potential set of improv lessons when we're getting into the visual that we've explicitly not had at our disposal in the past, at least explicitly that, and this sort of cross format, you know, even in my regular podcasts, I might at some point comment on, well, that I'm so glad you came to the interview in an incredible Hulk costume when they're not in fact wearing an incredible Hulk costume. (laughs) And that can be a funny thing or somebody can talk about being in their underwear. Of course we're in zoom. I might, you don't know. (laughs) There is always the danger of, and I think this is why the move was originally kind of called, and it still is in some circles, this idea of, of pimping of like, hey, hey, everybody, Mark's here. He's going to do us a dramatic reading from Romeo and Juliet and go, you know, Bill's here to give us the names of every states by letter. <laughs> <laughs> You're supposed to be doing the Romeo and Juliet thing. Let's we'll worry about my thing after yours. Okay. <laughs> That just shows, yes, that you don't have to play along. That it's just, a, it's just a prompt. It doesn't. Well, now we're playing the game called. You didn't order the monkey, man. You actually ordered the uh, naked. I'm an ape. I'm not a monkey. Apes are nearly human. In fact, I'm a Planet of the Apes ape. You know, there's, there's many ways to go. But I think Chris did a fine job in recapping that scene and explaining the scene in such a way that, as a performer, as an audience member, how about this for you, Mark? I have learned that it is best as a player to think about how what I'm doing is being perceived. 
and think about improv rules. So there's a lot of classic improv rules that kind of take the performers out of the moment a little bit. Don't ask questions. It's a classic one. And most improvisers have a kind of a, a well-rounded concept of that. But that would be something that would, you know, what if it's a courtroom? You know, what if it's just nothing but questions? And that would be something that the audience does not know about. You know, the receiver, back to Socrates and what you were you know, talking about. Perhaps it's best if I'm going to be communicating with the audience to, for my own process, for my own, how do I conceptualize this scene and my job and what I should be doing next? Perhaps I should adopt the viewer's point of view. And like, here's the situation of someone who thought it'd be fun to bring a cheer up people monkey to the office. Terrible idea. Horrible idea. We just need to get out of the way of that idea. Just let that idea live and breathe and be what it is. What rules of improv should we follow or not follow? I don't know. This situation explains itself. And our job is just to, you know, know, like I said, get out of the way of it. Does that make sense, Mark? Sure. So it's actually uh, Roland Bart was the name that I will drop that wrote the article called Death of the Author. Foucault had a related thing. So why, according to Bart, do we not have to care about the author's intention is because really every work, whether it's in language or in the language of art, the language of whatever genre you're presenting, but uh, he described as a tissue of citations. So that that is what we are. <laughs> that's a pretty disgusting image. But the point is the way that anybody's able to understand anything and the avenues that open them to interpretation or the way you would be able to have a more or less educated take on what you were seeing, what you were experiencing is that you get the references so that, yeah, maybe asking the author is not the best way. But like if you're watching an MST3K or whatever, at least Google that thing you don't understand. Like it's not just up to you to interpret. So we were working. I mean, this is goes right to what improv is doing because we are in reacting to what somebody else is doing. We are being spectators and then doing a little, little artwork in response. And so, oh, there's a monkey. Maybe it's an organ grinder monkey. You know, just these citations, these references, these associations just present themselves. And that's the whole language by which we build the scene. How is the author killed? How is the, how is the, what is the death? <laughs> it is the, we no longer, it's like the death of God. It's like, you know, we don't, we don't need to look for, you know, let's just do the thing on its own terms. Oh, okay. It, that we don't need the author to handhold us through what they were doing. Yes. It's not the key to interpretation that since everything is stated in a public, I'm going to say language in quotes with my fingers, then It is all of our domains. In fact, the author might not be any better than anybody else in interpreting the work. I mean, the author will understand what his influences, you know, references were, but there might even be other things in there. I think the World War One, the Eagles as America in World War One is a a great interpretation. If you're going to see the whole thing as a World War One or World War Two or whatever metaphor, then why wouldn't you look for missing pieces? Like, it just seems like a logical extra step. I have certainly known artists in the grand sense of the term who can in no way tell you their process and why they do it, yet think that they can. And I think finding someone who can explain what they're doing is actually kind of rare. I was one of those Malcolm Gladwell books about tennis pros. And these tennis pros are always saying, when you hit the ball, you got to roll your racket over the top of the ball. But then when you get high-speed cameras... They're not doing that. They're not rolling the rack over the top of the ball. In some ways, can we even trust the author to understand or know what they're doing? Do they even care as they're doing? Is is there a process to have a message? Or are they, I know many authors talk about, they're just following the characters. And even though the characters are manifestations of their own mind, 
Uh, and they should understand that they are in some regard, letting go of the identity of those characters and allowing them to exist independently in their own mind. So yeah, I guess perhaps the author is dead in that regard. If they are giving themselves over to these entities that ironically they created and should be able to control. To push this back to Chris, I mean, any improvising situation, you can't be looking over your own shoulder. You just have to get in and do it. It sounds like you're very engaged with the thing that you are watching to scramble and try to do these sounds and put together, maybe have some sort of second order thinking, as you were saying, getting ahead. But that's the most that your brain can do. You don't necessarily know. It's not like doing a crossword puzzle or sitting around. Like when I tried to write a riff, like an MST3K, I got a short and I was just pouring over like, what is the optimal reference that I could, you know, and sort of considering different, like totally against the spirit of things. Maybe what they do at this point to come up with a joke every second that they can insert. But, you know, I would think that you are must by necessity, just by the speed of it, be largely in ignorance of what you are doing at that moment. A hundred percent. Friends will tell me like, oh, the show was so funny. Everyone's laughing very hard. And I was like, I cannot hear it. My brain, like I have zero room left in my brain after I'm like watching and picking apart and trying to make all these noises to compute anything that's going on outside of me watching the screen, including time-wise, because I've done festivals where, you know, very often they'll be very generous. They'll be like, you know, you get 20 minutes and we can give you a light, you know, at two minutes before if you want. And I always tell them, don't even bother. I won't see it. And I I always make it very clear to them because sometimes they're like, you know, if you feel like you need to call it from the stage, that's cool. Or sometimes I've had people where I did a show in San Diego relatively early where I have a reasonable idea in my mind for how long things are going, but it's not terribly great. I was doing a show and it was going fairly well, but the trigger in my brain went off. That's like, this one has been going for a little while. And I managed to sneak a peek at my watch and I'd been going for like 40 something minutes. (laughs) <laughs> and so I was like, oh, crap. Also, because I'm watching the movie and I'm like, we're fairly along in this narrative about George Lopez trying to get a high school robotics team together. Uh, it's kind of one of those movies. And so like, I called it myself. I talked to the tech person afterwards and he said, oh, I had no idea how to call your show. So I was just going to let you go. And I was like, <laughs> oh, my God, no, you have to stop me. <laughs> so I had to make it very clear to people when I did shows in the future that I was like, ending this show is 100% your responsibility from the boot <laughs> because I have no ability to keep track of my own time. Like, I just, there's far too much going on between me and the movie to also be tracking time. So, like, I've made that abundantly clear to the tech people. It's like, when I'm done, you got to do something run on stage and grab me with a shepherd's crook if you gotta, but like, you are responsible for ending this show. Well, that'd that'd be an example of, is the artist even aware of their creation? Clearly, you are not (laughs) entirely aware, or to the degree that the observer is able to be aware. They can be hyper aware of everything, and they might be able to see connections or see patterns that you're not even aware of. Yeah, entirely possible. I'm really living largely moment to moment the show's only really last 20 to 25 minutes. So there isn't a lot of like narrative payoff or anything that I can do where I can set myself up some sort of Chekhov's gun that I can pay off later. Though occasionally it does happen. But the nature of me doing the movie and the time length that I have, I am mostly like each scene is an operand and I am operating within the limits of that scene until we move on to the next scene. Yeah. Yeah. So you're introducing an element of randomness in just where things are going to wrap up. 
So people who are comfortable with this anti-authorial intent thing <laughs> are maybe, I, I remember as a younger musician going to try to co-songwrite with somebody at their house and they're like, well, Brian Eno would like pull out cards and, you know, like these idea cards that I'm like, no, this is my brain and your brain have never been together. I want to see how those <laughs> things operate together to create something. I don't want to introduce an element of randomness, but if you feel like works are not just primarily expressions of your personality and your plans and, and you're comfortable with them, just no, they're going to come out the way they come out. Then having extra elements of randomness of whatever sort seems okay, right? It's the difference between people who like, I'm doing a studio recording and I'm going to record every, you know, I'm going to control every little thing of it versus I'm going to get a live band. Maybe we'll even be out on the street. We'll have street noise. We'll have other things, you know, and it'll just all, you know, you'll feel like you're in a situation and it'll be, there's going to be this element of chaos and that's going to be more fulfilling somehow. Yeah. I mean, I always enjoy when I get surprised by the movies, even if it's not maybe necessarily in the moment, a good surprise. I did one in, uh, it's one of my more favorite shows to tell on stage because I always end up, there's a, a tech element because, you know, I get the projector, the movie, the screen that always takes a little bit of time to set up. So I've learned how to vamp a little bit in the beginning to give the tech booths time to set up. So I've got a few built-in stories, but the one I always do where I try to really hammer home that I have no idea what these moves are because I never watch them ahead of time. So I don't know. I don't know where they are. Picked up this movie called Hunting Season. It looked like a very cheap horror movie. It's got like a woman in tight leather with a crossbow on the front. And it's like, okay, fine. It's some revenge movie of some sort. We're playing it. Uh, I'm in Austin for Out of Bounds. My aunt and uncle live in Austin. They came out to see the show. My parents came to also see the show. They live in Mississippi, but they were like, well, he's doing the show in Austin. We can go see you know, my aunt and uncle. They picked up my grandmother in uh, of Dallas <laughs> oh, and brought her. Okay. And yeah, which is all to set up that in the first 20 minutes of this thing is a fairly graphic rape scene where this woman is in the woods with her boyfriend. She gets attacked by some masked people who like beat up her boyfriend and then graphically rape her in the middle of this movie. And I mean, I always hammer home because I was like, I have no idea what these movies are. I don't have a lot of control over what they are. I never watch them. It did make me want to maybe start handing them to people to screen the first 25 minutes just to be like, <laughs> is this going to be okay to show an average audience? Letting the audience in, though, because I, as part of the kind of meta commentary, I noted that like my parents, my aunt, uncle, and my grandmother were in the audience tonight. I think the audience came back to being on my side of us against this movie that was like, <laughs> it, but also it was bad. It was a bad movie on top of that. Just absolutely terrible. So, so cheap and so cheesy. But yeah, I mean, there is a chaotic element where like, I don't know what these movies are going to do sometimes, sometimes to my detriment. <laughs> well, the, one of the funniest riff tracks is the, the studio version of The Room where they get to the first really long and disgusting sex scene, which is not mm -hmm. as disturbing, of course, as seeing a rape on screen, but like, it's pretty, you got his bare butt and things where they just, they just screamed at each other. The, the, the commentators <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. throughout yeah. the whole thing. Is it over yet? No. <laughs> ah, ah, ah. And that, cause that is the only proper response to that. Granted, you're doing a different thing. What was your strategy in that most difficult of places? Did you just go all meta? And like, I'm no longer being the sound of the movie. How did you deal with it? I've had not exactly to that level, but I've had similar things come up with other movies where 
they have moments that are like they're uncomfortable for one other whatever reason. Usually it's some violence thing. And I think of my goal in that moment is to kind of become conscious of the audience to be like, look, I understand we're all seeing the same thing and this thing is bad and none <laughs> of us like it, but we're, we're going to bear through and we're going to come out on the other side and, we're, and it's going to be okay. It's just a movie. In that one, at the time, there was no Uber or Lyft in Austin. But one of the sponsors of the festival was a rideshare company called Fasten. So I took the opportunity to plug Fasten with a little commercial in the middle. <laughs> oh. of it and I said, want to get away quick? Fasten. Open up your phone and hail a ride fast. And the audience appreciated, I think, the, the meta yeah. joke. We're at a festival. Fasten is one of the sponsors. And also, there's something going on on stage uh, that none of us want to be here for. <laughs> I think it's an interesting thing that happens in improv is that the audience is aware that things are being created in the moment. So that's all we talked about, that notion of pimping earlier. Hey, Mark, they got this book. Why don't you read some? It's the history of the Mongol Empire. Start reading. You know, in a movie, that's not funny necessarily because the audience is like, well, it's scripted. And this guy, he may pretend like he doesn't know about it, but we understand that there's a script. But in an improv scene, the audience understands that you may not know about this thing. You know, actually, I've seen situations where someone is pimped into a topic they shouldn't know anything about, but the actors know this person does. I secretly know Chris is actually a master's degree in chemistry, so I could pimp him into some ridiculous chemistry thing. And the audience laughs when I say it. But then when he answers the question reasonably, they laugh even more. So there's that whole notion of what is the content at that point? You know, is it the scene we're in? Is it the fact that these people are making it up and that they know each other in some regard? And we understand the difficulty inherent in making something up and just, you know, talking about some movie you've never seen. So there are a number of levels on which it can all be appreciated. Yeah. And, and different ways of breaking the fourth wall that I would think that when you see something really horrible and you're commenting on a movie, then immediately going to like, People pitch this. This is not like one just diseased person writing fanfic. This is like somebody wrote this on a script and then actors all gathered and they had to like, what did they think they were doing there? Are you, is this supposed to be a really dramatic? Yeah. It took several takes. Let's try that again. Let's, we had bad lighting on that guy's butt. Let's try that again. We need some patterns <laughs> and glare. Rapist off number three. You don't look like you're into it enough. Perhaps we shouldn't dwell on that particular anecdote any further on this episode. We, we do have the power to step away from something. And uh, <laughs> Mark and or Chris, would you like to try a nonverbal scene start? I would love to see Chris start a nonverbal scene start. All right. And, and sure. one that is started with a start, a real start. Start that start. All right. Very good. <laughs> Bill, what are we looking at? What? Shh. Be quiet. What is what is this sport? Darts. It's called darts. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. Is he is he trying to hurt somebody? It's not. It's the board. The board trying to hurt the bullseye. This is competition play. Why doesn't he just walk up to it? Do you want to go to a bar, kiddo? Do you want do you want to come to a bar? Is this fun? Is this is this what you always want to do? You want to know where your daddy competition goes? Competition play. I'm sorry. I'm sorry about my kid. Dad, I just thought we were going to drink. We are going to drink. You're going to get your first beer in about 20 seconds. This guy finishes round. Is he? This is a fifty thousand dollar purse I'm playing for. Does he serve the beer? 
Is that no. why we're not getting the beer yet? Shh, 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 shh. Triple 20. Does he get extra beer for that? Okay, you know, he just, he just needs to do that four more times. He needs to hit that postage stamp four straight more times. It, it looks pretty easy. I have been practicing my entire life for this moment. Can you two keep it down for three minutes? You got it. You got it, son. Yep. Yep. Triple 20. Okay. Wow. Wow. You can clap a little bit so between 60. Hmm? Yeah, that's right. Or is it, is it like 20 times 20 times 20? Are you excited about hanging out with your old man at the bar? Shouldn't this be fun and I, cool? I thought this would be fun. I didn't know bar this time is a very exciting time. moment. This is a very exciting moment for everybody in this bar. Yeah. Very exciting. Everyone is transfixed. This Every, is, this could, yeah. Everyone is totally Cell silent. phones are out. Yeah. Everyone is totally silent. Like, there's $50,000 writing on this. How much do I get a piece? <laughs> nope. I no, the bar gets it. We're competing for th- this bar will close if I do not get the fifty thousand dollars I need to pay off the bank. There's a lot riding on this. I think the bar should close maybe because they're serving oh underage gosh. people like me. But I mean you, it, you will not be on in eight minutes you'll be twenty one. Okay. All right. Yes, awesome. There it is. There it is. Another triple twenty. Yeah. Fifty grand, man. High fives all around. Listen to yeah, the cheers. Listen to everybody thank cheer. You. Listen to this. This thank is great. You. Whoa. Wow. And you got Thank to be you. here. You got to be here, Mark. You got to see could this. I, could Thank I get you a, all so much. An autograph? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sure. I bet you could. Yeah. Let's ask. Yeah. 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 I'll, I'll give you an autograph. I don't have. Do you want to write it on my, on my, uh, my. Well, get, my a get a coaster. Get a coat. Get a coaster. I mean, he just signed that woman's breasts. I thought maybe I should. That That's how it's done. That is my wife. That is my wife's breasts. <laughs> I signed my wife's breasts. That's acceptable. And there was, there was mutual consent. Understood. All right. You want me to sign your breast? I mean, I, you could sign my arm. How about that? Great. Let's get that arm. All right. Uh, there you go. I'll say two. Oh. Uh, two. Uh, What's your name? Lucky Joe on his 21st birthday. Lucky Joe on his 21st birthday. Be quiet. There you go. All right. Well, you you remember. That was a great. That was a great series of darts there. That was really cool to watch. Thank you. The, the boy like a here, huge he, weight has come off my shoulders. A big weights come off my shoulders. That was amazing. That was amazing. That was amazing. <sighs> but so, uh, this is the boys here. First trip to the bar. We're gonna get a drink here in eight minutes when he's twenty one. How does that sound? What a night. Uh, what a, what a way to. I think it's like christen, five minutes now. Legality. Well, I know it's five minutes. Now. Happy twenty first birthday. What kind of beer are you gonna get? I, I heard that the something really black. You know, where you put one beer inside another beer and one of them is black and one of them is less black. A black and tan? Maybe that. Black nope. and tan and, and... Or like a Irish car bomb? Is that what you're talking about? Ooh, that sounds good. It's a Guinness and it's a shot of Jameson that you... Yeah, Guinness. I've heard about that. I want beer you could chew. I, okay. I hear that's you, a good way right, to start. Boy, you, know, you know some stuff. You haven't been too sheltered, I guess. You want to take a round at it? <laughs> oh, the the darts? The darts. Oh uh, yeah, sure. I could. I mean, I could do that. I think you're gonna be hanging looks, out in a bar. You might as well. Looks pretty easy. I'm I mean, go pull those you just, off. There. You just uh, you just you just place them. Whoop! Very. You gotta oh, stand behind oh, the line. You gotta sorry. stand behind the line. Okay. All right. Yes, stand All right. Let me try yeah, another. Yeah. So you just you want to try and hit the bullseye at the center. All right. Uh, red red dot at the center. Whoop! There. Oh, okay. Well, that wasn't great. All right. Let's try. How about, can people maybe, it doesn't seem to matter people making noise when I'm doing it. I, I don't understand. <laughs> you're not in competition, Blake. Oh. This is not, you're not in competition right now. I'm in competition with myself. 
Yeah, there you go. Boom. There, there. Hey, welcome, welcome to the bar. I think the time's up. I think maybe let's let's uh, let's do the, get to the drinking. Give me. You the, still got two more darts to throw. The, you uh, have two more darts. All right, to throw, all, right, all right, all right. Here and hey, you got it on the board. You yep. got it on the board okay, with that one. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right, and uh, it's not so easy, is it? Huh? La- I'm gonna do the last one. Like- I'm gonna do the last one underhand. This is. A little- uh, I really recommend just doing them overhand. Your. Uh, oh, uh, sorry, sorry, sir. Yeah, he'll be he'll be fine. He'll be he'll be okay. Yeah, it's not so easy, is it? It's, it's yeah. a little it's a little harder, a little harder when you're behind the dart. I mean, I guess if there was more on the line, maybe we should uh, make it interesting. Wow. Okay. So, so then let me just say, let's one thing at a time. You are barreling into adulthood at a blistering rate here. Let's let's start maybe with just with a a light beer, an ale, a, a light beer, right. and then we'll go from there. Listen to your old man, all right? He knows what's best. Don't, you're like, you don't want to come in here and start throwing money around. I just thought if, the, if you know, your last hit made the bar able to stay open, that it was, for, you know, maybe we could just go double or nothing. Do you and, have and then the bar can stay $100, open twice? I don't need $100,000 because I'm going to kick your ass. Okay. Okay. I'm just, it's just a prediction. All right. Dad, All right. Okay. Dad, hey, dad. you know what? This will keep my bar open for another decade. Yeah. Let's just, uh, how much money do you have, son, to bet here? I, I think we should just run. I think I've, I've, uh, I've, <laughs> we should just run. We should just run. <laughs> that was, that was the intention is for, okay, I got some, I got some Miller High Life in the, in the garage fridge. Let's we'll just go the home. Fourth we, can have a, and, we can have a beer there and end the scene. Yeah, okay. <laughs> 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 All right. Scene over. All right. Well, that was a, a harder one. <laughs> we saw what Chris was doing, mm-hmm. right? And it wasn't just throwing dart, pantomiming throwing darts. There was also some emotion, some intent, you know, put something on his face for those of us to see. And, you know, Mark, you know what I'm going to say next? <laughs> What's more uh, important? That my, that my character grew from six years old to 21 in, in, <laughs> during the scene. years old. (laughs) That perhaps the throwing of darts is less important than the person throwing, how they're throwing the darts, how they feel about throwing Mm, the darts. mm. I'm sure Chris could talk about, you're seeing things in the movie. What is it you're latching onto? Someone enters a room, a door opens and someone enters. What kind of things are, are you latching onto? Does that make sense? You may not know in that moment that's what you're latching onto, but there's, in reflection, I would hope you could see. Obviously, the like big meta element would be like, where did they come from and why they're coming in here? But I think very functionally in the moment when I'm watching the movie, it's like, what does it look like they came in the room to do? Did they come in there to see somebody? Did they come in there to get something? Did they enter in a cop car? Did they enter with stuff? What are they wearing? Because all of those things are, are obviously visual elements that are giving me clues that same way that I'm trying to get ahead of the movie. Those things are giving me clues for what might be about to happen, who they might be trying to talk to, what they might be trying to talk to them about. Sure, sure. We have more options than just to ask the author at this point that we could ask your character, even in character. Hey, how does throwing those darts make you feel? (laughs) How does it make you feel? I mean, obviously, like, I mean, for those who saw the visual thing, like, I looked a little tense, a little nervous. And then, you know, I made it clear through the text that there was stakes and then the stakes were even, it was $50,000 and the $50,000 saves the bar, which is a very classic sort of 80s 
plot device of like, we got to save this money to save the skate park. Yeah, save the community center. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, I've just uploaded the video of what you did to chat GPT and I'm asking chat GPT. <laughs> How does how does Chris feel in the chat GPT? You be Chris right now. You tell me how he felt during that scene and how his character felt and how the two intersected. Chat GPT is uh, telling me something about COVID was a hoax. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Wow. Okay. I think you got to adjust your input settings. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If I tell someone, okay, I want you to pantomime throwing darts, you know, there's going to be people who are taking it seriously. There's going to be people who choose to like be bad at it. People who choose to be good at it. People who choose to be like really stressed. And again, that's just like, all I said was, you know, play darts. There might be someone who's like got a beer in one hand and darts in the others and they're laughing and carrying on and, and making eye contact and little finger guns at other people around, you know, and like, there's a lot of freedom around pantomiming throwing darts and you could say that the meaning if there's going to be meaning a lot of that is going to be laid in around the throwing of the darts and you know talking about people entering and or leaving a room you know it's like what are the things we're picking up on that we can divine intent from you know and it's not well a door was opened you know (laughs) so what is happening is is existing that well there's a functional a door was opened someone changed geographic locations but then there's all this other stuff that's going on and i think especially the good stories and good improv scenes and whatnot realize that that's the meat and potatoes is going to be everything that's around the action nicely stated so to sort of sum up as we as we go in i think that was a you sort of summed up the improv lesson i threw a lot of stuff from the philosophy side about the disgusting crusty tissue of citations and and uh, <laughs> the work as an objective thing and and maybe there are layers of trying to interrogate it and whether the creator is is privileged among with those two different lessons chris did you want to do any I'm other satisfied. i'm okay. satisfied uh, <laughs> which one wins the round today chris I think this is tight. It's it's very close. It's very close. But I think I got to give the edge to philosophy for the edging is tissue of citations. I think I think that's, <laughs> that's what pushes it over the limit. Crusty um, tissue. Yeah, crusty tissue. That of was citation. my addition. Yeah. <laughs> OK. I, it's just merely a dead phrase from Bart who is dead. So, you know, yeah, we can I, add whatever we want. I'll say for like my experience doing the movies, the ones that work best are often relatively low budget and cheap but they're often genre films mm-hmm. and i think those very hard genre where like people recognize the tissue of citations the like the functional things that we have come to understand either cliche for better or worse they aid in the watching of that movie so yeah the better movie that this is a version of or exactly <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah yeah you know like we've seen the arnold schwarzenegger movie now we're watching the cheap version of it with somebody running through the woods, uh, like, and yeah. But the, the viewer is filling in all the blanks from their own knowledge because they understand yeah. what an Arnold Schwarzenegger, mm-hmm. an action adventure movie is. Mm-hmm. So they're doing a lot of the work just because they know it's a, an action movie. Even though it seems like this should lead to sort of a, a democratization of, well, everybody can be an interpreter. Like the main way that we, you know, if you show your kid something or they, they, they're like, oh, this kid movie that I saw is so great. Like, well, that's because it's a dumbed down version of the Godfather, you know, yeah. <laughs> that's why, that's why you like the little mermaid. So you need to get the citations or I don't know. There are lots of things that I learned about through like mad magazine or whatever. You know, I never yeah. saw mm-hmm. Hill street blues, but I read the mad magazine 
parody of Hill Street Blues. So it's not always <laughs> one way. It's just, you know, things relate to each other. It's not necessarily chronological in the way we grasp them. Well, thanks so much, Chris. Yeah, uh, thank you. Thank you both for having me. Outstanding. Outstanding. Boy, I sure learned a lot from you guys today. <laughs> and I learned a lot from you all. <laughs> and, and scene. scene. I hope you enjoyed the show. To learn more about philosophy versus improv, go to philosophyimprov.com. Make sure you're subscribed directly to the philosophy versus improv podcast feed, even if you're listening to this somewhere else. Or better yet, use one of our supporter feeds, which you can learn about at philosophyimprov.com slash support. Listening that way will remove all the ads, give you post-game chatting with me and Bill and usually our guests for nearly every episode, supporter-exclusive bonus discussions, and if you support us through patreon.com slash philosophyimprov, you'll see links from most of our recent episodes to the unedited video experience, which is objectively better than just listening. Thanks! When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. It's Stangy Law Firm. We represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri.